can we develop a kosher, healthy, solid, powerful confidence without becoming conceitful or condescending? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. Before getting to our podcast for the Parsha of Balak, I do want to give a call-out and a sense a reach-out to our listeners in Malta. Uh, looking over our analytics, we saw that over the past quite a few weeks, there have been a handful of listeners each week in Malta. Uh, not quite as many as in the U.S. or in Israel or in Canada, but pretty consistently, uh, four or five listeners each week from Malta, and I'd love to know who you are and something about you and about your community and how you discovered us. And please, if you can reach out, tachliscoaching at gmail.com, T-A-C-H-L-I-S-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G, coaching again, tachliscoaching at gmail. And just a quick call out, love to be able to connect with you. Back to our previously scheduled program, we are up to the Torah portion of Balak. And within Balak, we're introduced to one of the most unique, one of the most tragic characters in history, and that was Bilam. Bilam, the prophet, the Navi, the prophet of the Gentile world, by definition, being a prophet means he's of great capacity, great potential, and a prophet that the Talmud describes as having a prophecy that matches in some way the prophecy of Moshe, of Moses himself. When the Torah later on, at the end of Moshe's life in, in Bezos HaBracha, describes Vlokam Yisrael Kam Moshe, oh, there was nobody like Moshe within Israel. But there was somebody like Moshe, and again, to some degree, like Moshe, outside of Israel, and that was Bilam. That means he's capable of having such an incredibly intense bonding with God, such an incredibly intense connectivity with God. All the more tragic. And instead, he turns this to an attack against God and God's people and becomes of the great corrupt figures of Jewish history. What a shame. But if we are to begin, at least on some level, to analyze and grasp something about where he went wrong, it would seem that it could be described as the divide between confidence, between legitimate confidence, between healthy confidence and conceit inflated ego, and a confidence in connecting with what's right and doing what's right, or a conceitful attitude that pushes away any type of, of, of source that, that tells me what's right and rather I do what I want as I want it. Now, of course, within the simple read of the parasha, he many times acknowledges that it's up to God. But you look a little more carefully and we discover that he is really uninterested and doing God's bidding. The very fact that at the beginning of the Parsha, when he's first hired, and he turns to God, and he tells God, oh, there's this people that left Egypt, and there are too many of them. There's this people that left Egypt? How about a little perspective over here? There's a people that you, God, purposefully brought out of Egypt. There's a people that you've cared about in the desert and that you've shown to have a unique relationship with. And that's the group of people about whom I'm asking, hey, is there room to discuss some type of uh, reduction in their populace and some type of limitation in their strength? Can we deal with these people and kind of get them out of the way? As he quotes over the message of Balak, instead of putting it into the perspective that, God, I understand and I appreciate 
and I'm sensitive to the fact that this is your people, it's simply that dry statement, oh, there is a people that's kind of a nuisance. We need to deal with them. Everything about him, and as a goose of the Parsha, is a statement of declaration that ultimately I realize God is running the show, but as much as I can, let me try to manipulate and shift and not do what I know God would really want to happen. And Bilam, with that great capacity that he had, the great potential that he had, unfortunately uses that not to connect further with God and expand himself by his connection with God, but rather to push God out of his picture. That's what ego does. Talmud describes that the Baal Gaiva, the one of that inflated, haughty ego, there's no room for me and him, says God, because he's pushing me out of all of his decisions, all of his influence and all of his input. Coming back to Bil'am, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos describes a contrast between the disciples of Bil'am and the disciples of Avraham. The disciples of Bil'am are antithetical to the disciples of Avraham. Avraham's disciples have three character traits. Ayin tova, a good eye. Happy when things are going well for the other. Eager to see the success of the other. The disciples of Bil'am, ayin ra'ah, the evil, more miserly eye. Not interested in anybody else having success. It all has to be me. The disciples of Avraham. This, by the way, is toward the end of the fifth chapter of Pirkeiolos. The disciples of Avraham have what's described as a ruach nemucha. A humility of spirit. The disciples of Bilam, a Rach Gavoha, a haughty spirit. The disciples of Abraham, a Nefesh Shafela. I think today we could call that being um, low maintenance personalities. The disciples of Bilam, a Nefesh Rachava. I need more. Always expanding and saying that more has to come under my wings, and I am simply greedy and and taking and, and absorbing into myself. Abraham's disciples, a common thread over there, is an ability to see the greatness of everything outside of myself, and a capacity to recognize that there's more than my personal interest. Is Abraham meek? Is Abraham timid? Is Abraham... Um, lacking in terms of self-esteem and self-confidence? Well, Avraham is Avraham Ha'ivri. He is the one who is seen throughout his life as the one who came from the other side. I'm distinct. I don't simply absorb the new culture. I can come to this land and remain my own unique person. I can come to this land and have my own distinctive identity. He's the Ivri, literally having come from the other side and remaining conceptually Ivri, detached and distant from the other, Bonding with them, connecting with them, giving to them, and yet not absorbing from them in the least. Just saw this past week an article about uh, Rav Hanan Wasserman of blessed memory. He got to avenge his blood. Rav Hanan Wasserman came to America on a fundraising mission in the late 1930s. And they quip that when he arrived and the first evening when he was offered various foods and he indicated his very rigid and uh, stringent standards of kosher, and that he wasn't going to budge one iota, despite the fact that that really was going to limit what was available to him as he traveled across America. The next morning, he was offered some of the same foods that he declined the night before. And when he said, as I mentioned last night, I have my standards and they're not going to change. 
And the comment back was, oh, well, I assume by now you've been in America already a whole night that you would have yielded to the laxity and the, the more um, relaxed standards over here. Well, that wasn't his style, and he wasn't going to give in. And Avraham Avinu, Abraham, when he moves throughout the lands, and whether he's in Canaan or in Egypt or in the territory of the Philistines, he remains Avraham Ivri, the other. No FOMO is going to have him concerned that he has to modify the who he is or the how he operates in order to fit in and be accepted by others. In fact, on a podcast about a year or so ago, we described that there's the unhealthy FOMO. I've got that fear of missing out and I have to always be in tune to what's outside of me and be willing to allow what's outside of me to dictate who I am. Avraham is the opposite. He is the healthy, kosher FOMO, the sense that I am fine on my own. I know that what's driving me is the word of God. And if to the rest of the world I'm an outsider, so be it. Being an insider with God is a far greater value. This issue, this element of having that recognition that we're in sync with the divine is a fundamental ingredient that can determine if our confidence is legit, or if we are exuding some type of a sense of personal self-esteem and greatness, which is ultimately ego and conceitful. Borrowing from an idea uh, in an article I saw last week of a Jonas Rosenblum writing an article about Mayor Schuster of Blessed Memory. Ray Schuster was one of the most heroic individuals of this past generation uh, in so many ways, but particularly in his overcoming an incredible shyness. And it wasn't that he was able to ever eliminate that character trait. He was shy to his end. Yet despite that, directly impacted on tens of thousands of lives. Directly meaning in one-on-one conversations and in interfacing, interacting with individuals he never met before in ways that many other people would be timid from even opening the door and getting involved he, he broke through his natural character constantly, consistently, in a unique manner. And for more information, I suggest Googling Rabbi Mayer Schuster or reach out to me and uh, I can share more, uh, more sources on that. But in addressing how he managed to do that, Rabbi Rosenblum captured a phenomenal uh, idea, a phenomenal perspective. He described that he was talking to you. So imagine you're talking to this Rabbi Schuster. You were talking to somebody who had an incredible confidence in the fact that he had the right mission, that he was representing the divine when he was making his pitch to you to help reconnect you with your Judaism. Again, typically he was addressing young Jews who were exceedingly remote, distant, detached from their Jewish heritage, and he was giving them a taste, an exposure, a first spark. And when doing so, you were talking to somebody who exuded confidence, yet there was absolutely no sense of self. Usually that person who's super confident, that salesman type, you just get a strong sense that they're very much into this sale. They've got what to get out of this. Of course, hopefully they have your interest involved in in mind at least a little bit, and they're certainly trying to convince you that that's the case. But let's recognize that at least sometimes you get that sense that this is a person who loves the product and also loves himself. Rabbi Schuster loved the product. He loved Judaism. He loved connecting people to God. But he also loved 
the person that he was talking to. Even though this was the first time he met you, if you were talking to him, he just exuded a sense that it's all about you. It's not about me. I'm interested in helping you find your way back home and helping you get that connection, helping you to get that divine spark and getting you the incredible heritage that is yours, but you don't know about it and helping you get back to where you could be in the history of, of Judaism and the ultimate Jewish destiny. Confidence with no ounce of conceit or condescending nature, even though he knows everything and I know nothing, but he's interested purely in helping me grow and helping me reattach. That comes from the fact that his confidence had nothing to do with the sense of building his self, but rather by being connected to something far bigger than himself, being connected to the divine. The antithesis of a Bilam. A Bilam, that ego, that uh, Ruach Kavoha, that greediness, that Nefesh Rechava, that sense that's I'm not interested in you, I'm interested in me. That was the Ayin Ra, those traits described in that Mishnah in Perkeos. Those are traits that unfortunately have somebody with incredible potential for connectivity to the divine detaching. It's me and pushing God out of the picture. What a tragic outcome. The goal, of course, is to be like that Rabbi's sister, to be like the Avraham, to be the one that is able to be focused on the other. And in so doing, I, I'm recognizing that my greatness is in the fact I can help you. My greatness is in the fact that I am yielding to a higher authority. And how ironic, what an incredible paradox. But the more I yield to the divine, the more I recognize that my greatness can come from being attached to something far bigger than me, ultimately the greater I can be. And, and look at it this way. You go the other direction. I'm going to be great by the fact that I take it all in, that I absorb, that I know it all. So let's even say, I can be greater than you. I can be greater than the next 10 people, the next 100 people. I mean, I can be greater than the next thousand, next million, the seven billion on my planet. Okay, even if so, I'll be more, I'll be smarter than everybody else. I'll be wealthier than everybody else. It's all me, 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 me. I'm going to take, 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 take. And I make myself the most powerful, the greatest human being on my planet for the entire lifespan of how long? 120 years? And you weren't the greatest person. You know, how did you, did you touch the rest of the universe, the rest of the eternity of time? If we make ourselves great, in a condescending and conceitful way, I'm bigger than you, and it's all about me, how big can we ultimately be? But if instead, with our humility, with our recognition that there's a higher authority that's dictating how to go through life and how to accomplish, and I'm moving through life by attachment to his plan, all of my accomplishments are in fact eternal. My greatness is far, far, far bigger, even if I'm humble and more meek and more uh, you know, limited in my sphere of influence. I'm so far greater than that haughty and condescending, conceitful individual. So let's make, let's make ourselves all super great. Build that kosher confidence, avoiding anything that borders on the conceit and the condescending and allowing ourselves to become truly great. And as we continue to aspire to that greatness, it'll just keep building because then I have a greater appreciation of what it means to be attached to God. And I can do more of what he wants to be doing 
as I move through life in my interpersonal realm, in my various mitzvahs, in my various activities, and continue to build myself to a greater and greater and greater, more eternal personality. In so doing, we'll become, we'll exude a healthy confidence, a confidence that would inspire others also, because they will not feel anything of self and of conceit or condescending nature, but rather a connectivity with something that is really divine, and we'll all become the type of people that can hopefully aspire to truly achieve our tachos.